Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet on KDRT 95.7 FM. Eight years, 404 episodes. And I know that because I spent the morning counting. And I think there's still more to talk about. So I'm still here after eight years. And today, my friend, Michelle Woodward, who's been a guest on the show several times, she's a coach, executive coach on the East Coast. And she's here to help me celebrate eight years of how she really does it. Michelle, hello and wh- thanks for coming to my show today. It's an it's an absolute uh, pleasure. And I was just thinking of all those 400 shows, 400 plus shows. I think I've listened to almost all of them too. So I'm not only, I'm like a fangirl of yours. I'm oh. a total like, I'm not worthy fangirl to oh, be wow. in your air. There you go. Well, I'm a fangirl of yours. Yours, so um, yeah, 404. It's it's kind of crazy to think, you know, when I started this back in 2006, um, I don't think I thought I was in the last past six episodes. So, so what was the? Uh, why did you start it? What was what was your thought for you before you did the first show? Um, so my daughter was in kindergarten, and I have a blended family. So I have two. I had two older kids that were in high school. And I had a daughter in kindergarten and a daughter that was three in preschool. And I just felt like I was messing up in life. So I, um, and I was really just searching for just information of, you know, this, that myth of how to balance it all. And, um, I had thought there should be a radio show to address these issues. And I ran into a friend of mine who's the executive director of the station. I said, you guys should put on a show that, you know, that went, that could help women. And she said, well, you should pitch it to us. And I was like, no, I have no experience. She's like, no, really, this would be good. And um, I kind of walked away, as probably many of the listeners do, kind of inspired, but really terrified. And it was one of those things where I let my busyness get in the way of something that I really wanted. And so that was probably spring sometime. And I ran into her again in September when my daughter was in first grade. And she said, we need to pit. We need the pitch because we're accepting pitches right now. And there's somebody else that has something like you. Nothing great like a catalyst of fear. Mm-hmm. So I pitched it, and um, and it was a 30 minute show, it was half hour. And it's funny because like I was this week looking back at some of my old like you know the intros to the show, and you know originally the show was it was a show for women about women, and you know now I have male listeners, and and it's grown to something quite different than what it originally was because I don't believe in balance anymore. You know, it's interesting. I'm just kind of slightly digressing, but isn't it interesting that often we start things thinking it's going to be one way, but when we kind of naturally let it evolve to be the way it needs to be, it turns out to be richer. You know, the idea that that you originally started for women, but now have so many male le- uh, listeners is kind of a really interesting thing because it becomes a much richer show. Yeah, you know, it's it is interesting because we just don't know where things go and and I think I'm in this next phase of the show and there's some changes that I'm thinking about making um as well and it's something that I've probably been struggling with for about 2 years now, you know, of what is the direction that I want to take the show and um I think this week I kind of solidified it. 
So, but, um, and, and being more open, I think having those 404 episodes has allowed me to just let go of that need for certainty, let go of that path, right? And especially when you're doing live shows <laughs> where anything can happen. Um, and uh, so it, it's it's been a great practice for me, but it's, yeah, it definitely has been richer, a much richer experience. And um, it's just been a beautiful journey. You know, uh, you've had so many famous people on your show uh, over the years. And I've, I'm really interested in... Um, the way that you got connected with Brene Brown, who now, of course, is, you know, just hotter than hot and doing such amazing work. But you had her on the show before she was really, before she was on Oprah, before she was packing ballrooms and, uh, you know, doing everything that she's doing now before several of her books. How did you first connect with Brene Brown? Well, so I got her after her first TEDx talk. So it was just right at the start of all the mass craziness. Um, and the thing that I, and it was one of those things where um, I kept seeing that TEDx talk kind of be passed around and shared on Facebook. And finally, one day I took the time to watch it. And here's what I was more, most interested about. I was most interested in the fact that um, she had been a waitress and she didn't graduate from college until she was almost 30. And so, you know, one of the kind of the, I guess my show's manifesto is that you can be successful and you're going to fall down a lot. It's about getting back up. And so that was really kind of what drew me to her um, was that she didn't have that straight line of success, right? You go to college, you graduate, you start your career, and then you, you know, you, it's an overnight success. I mean, her, even being on Oprah, I think, happened in her 13th or 14th year of her research. Um, so, and then I just asked and, um, it's really kind of that simple. I think it's getting harder now for people to get guests because there's so many podcasters out there and, and stuff, but I just asked and, um, and then she came on my show and we had a great time. So, and then she's been back several times since then. Didn't she do one interview from underneath her bed? So that was the first one. So I, I, this is, (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell the story. Um, so, you know, I'm sitting in the studio and, and I've now let go because I was a control freak. And so I used to always be very adamant that I called the guests. And I don't know, at some point I decided, you know what, I'm done with that. They can just call into the show. I'm going to let go of that aspect. And so I'm sitting there and we go live at 10 a.m. Pacific time. And at 9.58, the guest's supposed to call in. I'm like, okay, it's 9.58, it's 9.59. Finally, you know, I call her on her cell phone and she said, oh, you know, because she was in the middle of moving and contractors were coming to her house. And she said, you know, can, can, can we delay this by like 10 minutes? And I said, well, no, this is live radio. And, you know, and heaven forbid, like I would have to speak for 10 minutes. I thought that would, that would scare the living dilates out of me back then. And, um, and she, and, and she goes, oh, this is live radio. She's like, okay, let me see what I can do. So she calls back into the studio because we don't use cell phone lines. They're not, they're not ideal, except unless you're on the Brooklyn Bridge, like one of my guests was one time stuck in traffic. But so she calls me back and she's like, okay, I'm sitting in my car. I was like, okay. So we go start the show and then I welcome her and I say, hello and welcome, Brene. And there's nothing and it's dead air. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> and gosh. I, I forgot to turn on my mic. I was so flustered. 
And so, and then, so we jump on and the whole show is about letting go of perfection. I, you know, part of me in the back of my head is you're a fraud, you're a fraud, you know, you can't even turn on your mic. I, you know, and I've got my own stuff going on. And then, but we do this interview and it just, it was a beautiful interview. And when, instead of it being again, once again, like I have a plan and I always have an outline, but I never know exactly where the conversation is going to carry us, you know, and what's, what nugget that the guest is going to say, that's going to hook me and we're going to go in that direction. And so we really got into this, I, her part of her research that talks about your ability to love other people is directly correlated to your ability to love yourself, mm-hmm. right? And so often as parents, we'll say, no, I love my child, but I just don't really love me because look at me and all my flaws. And so it was a beautiful interview and it was great. And it's, it's still like gets lots of hits even to this day. And that was, you know, many years ago. But um, afterwards, we wound up talking for probably about 45 minutes. And she said, oh, my gosh, you know, she said, I was underneath my daughter's bed at one point, And then I was in my closet, you know, because she was just trying to she was trying to be respectful of the show and be really quiet and just trying to find an environment that that was conducive to that. And then I was laughing because I said, oh, you know, I forgot about the mic. And she said, oh, I thought you were just being really nice to me and giving me some extra time. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. so we just had this huge fiasco. And then from there, you know, um, we've gotten to know each other a bit and stuff. And um, she, yeah, she's just an amazing person. And she's, she's, you know, the same as she is on the air, she is off the air and in person. Um, I finally got to meet her face to face recently and that was a great experience, but she's just real and just a very grounded person. So, but yeah, that was, that's probably one of my funniest stories because there was so much stress, um, you know, because you, I, as a host, I want to honor the guest and their time that they're with me. So I don't want to make mistakes. And then, you know, and she was not wanting to, you know, hurt the show, but we were just trying to come together and we did the best that we could on live radio. So. You know, it's just, it's so, um, it's so interesting to me. Do you think, um, and now I'm interviewing you, isn't that fun? Um, <laughs> but do you think that you're, that how, how you mentioned it briefly, but how you've grown, um, as a person because you've been able to have situations like that one with Brene where you've, you've had to kind of roll with it more. In other words, your control freak ism kind of got challenged time after time to the point where, you have a different way of being now, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm so much more agile, especially, you know, when I was doing um, live radio. And I think the last live radio show I did was with you. And we had the fiasco at the station. So then I came into my home studio and we wound up recording it. And that was a couple of years ago. But it, it's, it, I, I'm just, I'm much more patient. I'm, you know, I'm, I always tell people I used to be the queen of certainty. And I realized, you know, again, it's kind of like what you said, you know, when you start things out and you think it's going to be one way, but if you can just let it be, it can be actually be much richer. Right. Um, and so, yeah, the show, the show has been probably one of my personal greatest um, learning avenues. I've learned more from the show than I would say from graduate school, uh, all my years through graduate school. So but just how to be in the world. And then I think the other thing I've learned how to do is really how to connect because a lot of times a guest will come on and that's the first time that we have that, you know, that talk. And I, I really try not to talk to them before we get on the air because sometimes I found we would have these great conversations. We get on the air and I was like, oh, we've already talked about that. So um, there's been a lot of, lot of growth from the show. 
So what what are where um, do you see where do you see things going? Well, what I'm kind of playing with is that I one is that to put together a weekly show with the guests that I have, I love learning, but I feel like my cups are full, right? And as I was, I was telling somebody, I can't believe I'm telling this on the air. As I was telling a friend yesterday, she was the first person I finally like said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I said, you know, once you kind of have like your tools, there's, there's, there's hundreds of ways to make chicken parmesan, but once you know your way, you don't need to know all the other information and not that there's not a lot of great information, but I've kind of hit a point where there's that frustration piece of, you know, learning something new. So I still want to have conversations and I still want to bring on the thought leaders and the researchers, but not on every week format. Um, because that was, that takes, you know, about 20 hours a week at least to prepare for the, for the show. And I'm losing that capacity just because of my other, I have other stuff that is taking over that time. Um, you just said something really important, so I'm going to just tease that out a little bit. But when you said, you know, there's really only so many ways to make chicken parmesan, and once you get a recipe that you really like, you kind of stick with it. You know, it's funny, but I think that's true also at when you become sort of a master at your field, whether your field is, you know, orthopedic medicine or coaching or teaching fifth grade or whatever – yeah, you can always learn something new. You know, we all want to be, as Carol Dweck would say, we want to have that growth mindset. But at the same time, I see a lot of people, particularly in our shared world of the coaching world, who, who can never rest in their mastery of saying, you know what, I have a suite of tools that I feel really comfortable using. And yes, I'm open to learning new things, but I'm not going to be like frantically searching for new things all the time, because then I can't do the work that I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. You know, people ask me, do you use this tool? Do you use that tool? I'm like, I've never even heard of that tool. But no, I, I got my like, I got my tools, my go-to tools. Then I'll read a book like Carol Dweck's book. And I'll take, I'll take the learning from that and I'll put it into the work that I do. Or I'll take Brene Brown's work or Simon Sinek's work or somebody that I haven't even met yet's work. And I'll, I'll incorporate that in mind, but I'm not, not like desperately seeking the, the sparkly, shiny new because I feel like, you know, and you could pinch me because I'm saying it out loud. I feel like I already have the mastery. So it's just, what do I, what do I let in to my, my suite of tools? Does that make sense to you? No, that makes total sense. And look at you. I mean, you're, you're, you know, a very effective, and when I say effective, it doesn't sound sexy, but you're a very effective CEO whisperer, right? I mean, that's you, you coach to those, the really high end, high level leaders. And, you know, it's not because you have, um, you know, 500 tools out there, but you have your like toolbox and you know your stuff really, really well. And I think sometimes what happens is that we can go on and gather a lot of tools, but not really learn how they work to a, to an in-depth degree. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And then it's that, and it is, you know, I, I sometimes uh, kind of stand on my soapbox and beat my chest about anxious strivers. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there are a lot of anxious strivers in the world. And sometimes our society really says everybody, you know, the only way to be successful is to be an anxious striver. 
you know, always push, push, go, go, more, 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 do, 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 do. And the, the truth is anxious striving is exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it's like how to have an easy relationship with learning, you know, and also knowing, hey, I got enough. I can do this. You know, I, if I'm going to clean my house, you know, I've got the Windex, I've got the Comet, I've got the paper towels, I've got the pledge. I can pretty much get 99% of it done. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't, I don't need, I don't need to go to Target and buy everything in the house cleaning row. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't need all that stuff. But a lot of people feel like they need all that stuff. But it's just, I think, sometimes a dodge because they're, they're fearful of actually doing the work. Yeah, it goes to enough is enough, right? Right. When, when, when is enough enough? And, and then just, just living it. And, you know, and I, and I mean, since that interview with Brene, I've really tried to live that work in my house. And, and, and I've really thought about how is, you know, what's the home that I want to create? And you and I've had conversations about, you know, what is the relationship you want to have with your kid when they're 45? Right. right? And, and it's like, I just want to go deep into those aspects. Um, Versus, okay, here's here's another way, you know, to do thought work. I mean, there's many different ways, right? And a lot of times it's the same way, but it may be different words. Right. Um, when you understand that, you know, whether it's your narrative or the stories that you tell yourself, it's about checking in just to see if they're true, mm-hmm. right? So that that part, yes, I've, I've finally come to the point where while there's beautiful research out there and I love it, my cups are full at this point. And... And then the other side is that there's just great content on my show. That's, I mean, it's there. It's all free for people, right? And so it's, I'm one of the things I'm thinking about doing is how can I go back and maybe pull out snippets and then talk about that so that my listeners can take it to the deeper level, right? right. So those are the things that I'm kind of playing with for this next, I guess, chapter in the, on the show. When you think about, um, you know, the impact and the, the legacy piece, you know, this is something that I think sometimes people think about, but they don't often think about it thoroughly enough. You know, a 25 year old is probably not always thinking about impact, but what I see in the work that I do is the, the, the network, the alliances, the relationships, the brand Mm -hmm. that a 25 year old person creates for him or herself carries along till the, till they're 60 or 70 or till their death. Because those people, like for me, and when I was that age, you know, I was working at the White House. Mm-hmm. And I think about the people that I worked with then and where they are now. And, you know, my, my core people from the White House days, I could pick up the phone right now. And regardless of, you know, their, their job title, where they are in the world, they would pick, they would pick up the call and we would talk. That happened because even if I wasn't conscious of it, I was having an impact then and I was creating a legacy. Mm-hmm. So you have this, this perch of, of the show. What do you, what do you think about impact and legacy and that whole sort of thing? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I, you know, I don't know if I have an answer for that. Um, I, I think and maybe this, we're going to have to talk this off to talk this out. Um, when I think about impact and legacy, I mean, um, there's a couple things. One is I love that this show, the show is aligned with my values because 
I love that it can hit people. I mean, thank goodness for the internet, right? I have listeners around the world and I get emails all the time from people all over the world. And I'm always astonished where they're, where, you know, because these are people that are outside of just my little community, right? I live in a one high school town and, um, and the fact that it can reach people. And just, just the other day, I got an email from somebody that was saying, thank you so much. You know, this show really helped me. And I mean, that there's a huge responsibility, right? Because I want to, I need to make sure I put out quality content that's not going to do harm to people, right? Or be misleading. And I think that part's really important. But that impact of, you know, how can you, you know, I don't know if it's influence because I feel like that would be salesy, but really how do you influence or how do you show people that their life can be okay or that, you know, their, their suffering or their struggles, that's a part of common humanity. We all have those things, right? Our stories may look a little different or the characters may be a bit different, but we all have things that we we're working on overcoming. It doesn't have to define us. Um, so is that what you mean by impact? Yeah. And, you know, it's so interesting. I imagine that there are so many people who listened to one of your shows or many of your shows and said, I never thought of that. Mm -hmm. Or I never thought of it that way. Or, hmm, you know, just even hmm. And then they go and they pick up a book or they have some reflective time and their life may be, you know, better. And it's so funny because a lot of times we think we need to have this huge, you know, light bulb, you know, moment, the clouds part, a shaft of sunlight bathes us in golden light and aha, our life is different. But sometimes it's just making that decision, you know, hearing Carol Dweck talk, for instance, Mm -hmm. I don't know why she's top of my mind today, but that, you know, I can have a closed mindset or I can have a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And so today I'm going to be a little conscious of when I have a closed mindset, when I'm saying, oh, I'm not any good at that. I, I really shouldn't even try to having that, well, I'm sure I'm going to be better at it once I try, once I practice, than I am when I started. And it's just those little little shifts, that seemingly little shifts, that then create this a wholly different experience in life. And that, when you, when you say influence, you know, exposing someone out there to one little idea that then causes them to make a different choice, one little choice is different. And then their life's experience is different. That's that's tremendous influence. Yeah, you know, I think about what you just said about like little shifts. I think sometimes, and I don't know if you find this in with the work that you do in your clients, but sometimes, and whether it, this is with my clients, with the emails I get or from the listeners or with the swim team, the aqua monsters, I see people wanting the big shifts, thinking it has to be this big step right? To make this change. And I, you know, my, the saying that I've had this week, especially in my home is small things matter, Mm -hmm. right? It's those little small things that can, can actually make a big difference. And, you know, and I mean, I guess that's one of the things that if I could have influence with the listeners, it would be, it's those little things. Like if you can just realize, Hey, how can I look at this from more of a growth mindset of, I mean, I love Carol Dweck's work. I mean, she's really helped me shift my own thinking. What can I learn from this instead of when you're in that fixed mindset of, oh my gosh, I'm a fraud, right? And you shut down because really what she's talking about is shame. You know, I was that kid growing up. I was the, you know, gate kid. So the gate is, I don't know if you guys have that in DC, but we have it in California. It's the gifted and talented. And I was identified in second grade as that. And I always felt like a fraud, like, 
some point you're going to figure out that I'm not gifted or talented, right? And I was that fixed mindset kid because I was thinking that I had to do everything perfectly. And if Mm -hmm. I didn't do it perfectly, then I was going to show up as a fraud and they were going to take away that label that I never asked for. Isn't that fascinating? You know, and it's interesting. I sometimes kind of uh, shake my head at, I I call them the retreat junkies. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like people who go to retreat after retreat after retreat, workshop after workshop. And what they're really looking for is the adrenaline juice of some sort of, you know, big shift. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember having somebody, I do these half day intensives uh, you know, where I work with people for half day or full day. And one, I did a, a half day intensive with a woman over the phone, which is really hard. So we did um, half of a half day one day, like a Tuesday and ha- the other half on Thursday. And at the end of the Thursdays, we're sort of wrapping up. There was this pause. And she said, well, I kind of expected it to be like a bigger shift. She said, but I look at, I look at the 10 things that I need to do next. And I know when I do these, it's going to make a big difference. But I kind of was looking for some sort of big shift. And first of all, my first reaction was, oh my gosh, I failed. You know, Mm -hmm. my gosh, I failed. And then I thought, you know, I, I I never, I never, I don't go in promising that, you know, you're going to (laughs) cry. Right. I mean, (laughs) It's like, you know, and so, and then I realized that was really more about her stuff that she, she couldn't own that she had the power to do these 10 things and make a significant difference in her work life, her business life. And then that will lead into her regular life. And that's what we explored for the last 15 minutes of the call was why she didn't believe that it could be anything but some big, you know, big shift. And what did you guys figure out? Well, she she came to see that she had that sort of um, I don't I don't I don't want to be at all disparaging, and I don't use this word disparaging. This sort of diva energy where everything was big, mm-hmm. it was big and blown out and fantastic, and you know, hair, nails, and shoes, right, kind mm-hmm. of thing. Or or you're you're in your house shoes, your yoga pants with you know nothing. So she was a very black white. It was either big and blown out or it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. And that was actually very useful for her to kind of explore, is that really true? You know, does everything have to be way, way over the top? Yeah. I mean, when you can figure that out, isn't it just amazing? Because instead of searching for like what you're saying, those that adrenaline, like, oh, I've got to do this retreat and it's going to change everything. You can be grounded and go, okay, what are the things that are, what are the small things that I can do? Whether they're small or big, that's going to be effective, right? Um, and I think that part is so important to just, to realize it doesn't have to be these outlandish things. And, um, you know, when you're talking about that, it made me think about, um, the Olympics. So when I went to London in 2012 and, you know, there was a lot of excitement, but I was also, you know, I had a lot of experience behind that. I call it the green curtain of what really mm-hmm. goes on. And, um, when we, when I got to London and I didn't even know if I'd be able to get a ticket, right? Cause you don't just get tickets. Like as, as a coach, they make sure you have a ticket to get in, but I'm insignificant. I'm just the coach's wife. So, you know, the place that, the first day we go and I get to London, we go down to where, you know, the USA national team and they're, they're 
giving out tickets to parents and to the coaches and stuff. And it's at Westfield Shopping Mall in London. I, I spent about eight hours in Westfield Shopping Mall. I don't know if you have them in DC. There's mm-hmm. one 25 minutes from my house. And I was in Starbucks. I went to the Apple store to charge my phone. I literally felt like I was in the US. And where we were exchanging tickets was in Starbucks. So it's the or it was so ordinary, right? And here everybody thinks, oh, it's the Olympics and it's going to look this way. And no, it's really, really ordinary. And then you go into the facility. I was able to get tickets. You go in. Somebody was really, people are really, really nice, I have to say. And I, I went in, you go through the security and stuff. And it's really like a Disneyland, but without all the beautiful greenery and shrubs, mm. right? Um, it's huge. There's all these big signs, but it's gravel. You know, I go into the pool have to, I climb up four sets of stairs to get up to the thing. We go down, we sit down and there's all this. And then I sit and after five minutes, I look and I'm like, and the pool's really far away because we're up in the nosebleeds. And I'm like, this is just another swim meet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but it's that realization that, you know, here, this is the, you know, in this, my sport, this is the grandest event of all. And to realize this is just another swimming. And I think, you know, like the Michael Phelps or the Missy Franklins out there, they realize that, you know, they, they want to do well and represent their country. But that perspective of it's not this diva-ish thing, you know. And, you know, one of the things that Pete's, Pete's Olympian learned from the Olympics, this, and Pete asked him this after he came back, he goes, what did you learn from the Olympics? And Scott said, I learned patience. Mm-hmm. You know, because he had he sat there and he watched the media go around with Michael Phelps. And he said, and Michael just was very patient, you know, when he had was asked questions or stood in line, you know, for pictures or whatever it was that was asked of him, you know, on top of his his stuff to do his events and his competing. He had patience. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I agree with you about that. If we can just get grounded out of that. um you know, diva stuff and just be like, okay, what are the things, you know, what, what ordinary things can actually make transitions and transformations? One of the blog posts that, you know, sometimes I write a blog post that I really like and nobody else really likes, but you know what? I don't care. I don't, (laughs) I don't really write for anybody. I really write because I feel like I just want to express things. And the fact that some people read them is fantastic. But uh, several years ago, I realized that that old parable of the, um, the Aesop fable you know, the tortoise and the hare uh-huh. is so powerfully meaningful. You know, so many people think you need to be the hare, flashy, fast, you know, um, sort of if you look, there's an old uh, cartoon that has the, that's the tortoise and the hare and the hare is sort of like mugging for the gallery and kissing all the girls and the tortoise is just doing the race mm-hmm. slowly but surely, step by step, all the way down. The tortoise is not sexy, mm-hmm. but the tortoise always wins. Mm-hmm. And so we, we live in a society now, here I'm on my soapbox, but we live in a society now with social media and all the come-ons that are there about getting rich. You know, you can make a million dollars in six weeks with these five <laughs> steps. You know, it, that's all like so attractive and it's so big and it's so diva-esque. It's so hair, nails and shoes, as I said before. But what really wins is the tortoise, Mm -hmm. is the slow and steady. Bill Gates would probably even say, although they had a really great idea for Microsoft, and you might say that that was very jazzy, you know, very hair-like, the way that he's been able to amass that fortune and now go out and do great things in the world 
speak by being very thorough, very diligent, very moving forward, step by step, allowing intuition to guide you, right? And so maybe I can miss some steps because I'm intuitively knowing I'm on the right track or off the right, off the right track. But you just keep doing it. You keep doing those 10 things that are on your list. You know, you swim the race in London the same way you swam the race in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Because it's all the same race. Yeah. It's the same race. It's the same distance. Mm-hmm. I think what you said is so important about like the tortoise and the hare. And um, don't you, do you find that when people, whether, you know, they, they want that fast, you know, the fast momentum, that buildup, that diva-ish stuff, um, it takes a lot of energy. And then if it doesn't, if they don't get that transaction right away, it'll, it gives them evidence that this isn't working and I need to quit. Well, see, but what are they after? I know. What, what is somebody after when they are after that quick success? I mean, really and truly, what is it that we're looking for when we want to go out there and succeed with no effort and just, you know, walk on the stage and sing an aria perfectly, right? We, what we really want is we want acceptance and appreciation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I'm sitting in my office writing or working on a book or working with one individual and making, doing really powerful work, Nobody on the planet knows that. Mm-hmm. And if I weren't like comfortable in my own skin, I might be out there seeking a lot more approbation, a lot more appreciation, a lot more strokes from people to remind me, you know, uh, I'm okay. But the truth is I kind of already know that. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So it's like I don't have to go out there and, and do that because I'm pretty settled in that part right now. Mm-hmm. And so – you know, why do people want that kind of all that stuff? I think it's because they really don't know in their heart, you know, this is, I'm, I'm okay. Do you, do you agree or am I way off track? No, I totally agree with you. I mean, you you know, one of the things that, you know, I really appreciate about you is you're very grounded, right? You're really, you're clear. And not that I'm saying that you're a hundred percent clear all the time, because I think there's, you know, you've had to do work in your own business and stuff to figure out and test things out, right? What works for you, but you're really clear about who you work with, the work that you do and the importance and the effectiveness of the work. Um, And there still can be those moments like with that client where you're like, oh, did I not, you know, did I not help her because she didn't have that quick transformation, right? So you can have that, that doubt that comes in and then you can settle into that and go, okay, let's, let's take a look at this right? Where somebody else may really hustle for their worthiness. And I just don't see you doing that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, and you know, I wonder, okay, now someone's listening to that and saying, gosh, she's full of herself, No, but you know, whatever. Um, but my point is, is that it, it takes a long, it takes a lot of work and it takes being conscious Mm -hmm. and, um, to, to get to the point where, you know what, this is, this is good. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, I, if I could be like king of the forest and wave a magic wand, I would love that for everybody because I do think our entire world would be such a better place if people were conscious and sort of felt that feeling of, I'm okay. It's okay. We're all okay. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, I know the stories that we show up with, right, that just can limit us. And I mean, I'm, I can be the queen of that. But it does, it does take work. And I don't think you're full of yourself. Some people may, may think that, but I don't, you know, you're very genuine. But to be able to be grounded and to be in that place where um, you don't need that outside approval, right? That, you know, I used to call myself an approval whore. And a lot of times, you know, Brene will say that that's just a shame shield. You know, that's a shield to shield us from our own shame that we're feeling. We move towards people to people please them so that we can try to diminish some of the shame that we have. Right. Right. And I believe that, you know, if you fully live your life, if you're fully experiencing your life, if you're, you know, totally engaged in your life, um, you know, sure, you're going to get knocked down. But do you say, hey, what do I learn from this? Mm -hmm. How does that shore up my resilience? It's such a different path than saying, oh, my gosh, I uh, there's something fundamentally at my core rotten. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, again, it's like just a choice. Okay, Mm -hmm. this was hard. This was a huge challenge. What do I take from this so that next time it's either easier or I have a better, a better experience? Mm-hmm. Well, and that goes back to Carol Dweck's growth mindset, mm-hmm. right? When you realize that everything is learnable, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and that's, that's the important thing is that you can learn and you can practice and you can circle back and reevaluate it. Right. right. Instead of make that mean, I mean, I was the queen of that. It was like, oh my gosh, that didn't work. And so I'm a failure. I'm a fraud. Right. That voice would just come in and I would over identify with that. And I think, you know, and, and when I first started this show eight years ago, really, you know, I was a seeker and I really feel like, you know, now I'm not a seeker. It's, it's, but it's, it's a diligent practice that I have that goes on where I'm constantly, the question I ask myself is, what can I learn from this? There's a lot of reflection that goes on in my head you know, every day about what can I learn? What can I tweak? You know, how do I want to be um, like on my show or, you know, um, I know I'm pretty grounded in our family's values and my what's important to me. I know that stuff now, right. but it, it's, you know, it's been my own journey to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So to ask the question, you know, when you first started, how, how does she really do this? <laughs> how do you really do this? I mean, how... How, how do you bring how do you bring yourself to the to the work that you do with the show? Um, so I think the thing that is it's you know it's weird because I can't I don't just have like one title right I'm the executive director of a nonprofit which is the Aqua Monsters um, and so I that's an organization that I lead I lead the coaching staff I lead the parents I lead the kids um, and and that's in, in a way for me to change the world right. And some people can say, oh, well, you're not in Africa. You're in this affluent town of Davis. And, and I, and I understand that, but I'm here and this is where I live. And how can I help this community? Because if I can make a difference here, how is that going to spin off? You know, as they grow up, like I have a lot of swimmers. I have a, you know, I have swimmers that are now, oh gosh, you know, 27, 29, 31, and they're out in the world. And if I, if I know that, not if I know, I know that, there were there were just some seeds that they picked up, some nuggets that now they're bringing and they're spreading out into the world, right? So that's my way of changing the world and then just creating that safe atmosphere because, you know, one of the things that I'll say is that even though we're Davis, what the, and I used to teach at an inner city school, we're just really good at hiding it in Davis, 
right? The problem. So if I can create a safe space, not that I'm saying, you know, but just a place where the kids can belong and they can connect and they can be who they are, then that's my way to, that's my contribution. So, um, and then, you know, the same thing with the show is that how can I create the safe space so that people can realize that there's this common humanity factor, right? And that if we can learn and we can practice being in this growth mindset, and then I do the same thing with my clients. It's more on an individual basis or within groups. So everything that I do is all rooted in the same place. I just have different platforms to kind of distribute my message, if that makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. And it's such a great, you know, service that you do. As you said, you know, people around the world are listening. And so, you know, it's a, it's a great uh, way to allow people to exp- expand their their minds and expand their consciousness, I think it's wonderful that you're that you're doing this. I think all the lives you've touched. Do you ever think about that? Oh, um, you know, that, no, I I didn't. Um, I think I'm starting to a little bit. You know, that even still, the I think I get a little scared because when when you said that, it came at me, and I was like, oh gosh, that's a lot. Um, it's a bit overwhelming, right? I mean, it's just, it's a bit overwhelming. I've been, I've been coaching for 21 years. So when you think about the number of physical people that have been in my life, right? And then the radio show is like a whole nother thing because that number is just big and out there around the world. Um, but um, I mean, it's aligned with my values. You know, how can I be of service? But it is a bit overwhelming if I were to think about all the lives. Or I mean, even just yesterday, I was writing down some some clients' stuff because um, I was inviting a group to come. I've worked with them in the past and to come and do do this other group. And I and I was I looked at the list all of a sudden. I was like, "Holy moly, this is a lot of people, right?" And this was just a segment of the people I've worked with through the years. But I really thought that they could benefit from this next offering that I had, and I would love to work with them again, right? And, um, so, but at the same time, like I don't have, you know, huge numbers like an Oprah or, you know, what we see in the internet marketing worlds, because for me, you know, I, I start to get to know people's stories and how many stories can I really hold? So, and how do you measure the impact that you can make when you get one, one, an email from somebody that says, you know, thank you so much. I've been suffering from, you know, X, Y, and Z. And by listening to your show, you know, it's helped me have more understanding. It's given me, you know, insight, tools, something, right? So that they could work their way out of it. And maybe they're working their way out of it with, you know, the help of somebody else. But as long as they're, you know, and it could even just be support. Like for some people, this is like, I always say to people like, who are on your team? What are the things that help you? Like when you're going through those hard times, you know? And so sometimes the podcast can be that you know, or sometimes it can be a book that we read and it could be people in our lives, you know, but sometimes we don't have the access to the people all the time. And so maybe it is just the podcast. You're throwing it, it's a very intimate environment. You throw it on your headphones and you go for a walk or you clean your house or you go and work out or whatever you're going to do, or you go for a drive. And, you know, a lot of people will say they feel that they know me from my show. So it's pretty incredible. It's powerful. Well, you know, when you think about eight years and 404 shows, you know, every single time has been just another sort of brick in the foundation of your life's work. And so from that regard, I hope you do go on in some sort of way 
that allows people to continue to benefit because I, I think 404 opportunities for people to learn and grow is a pretty amazing legacy. Well, thank you. It, yeah, it's um, quite, it's quite interesting. So it's fun. And, you know, thank goodness that, you know, there are so many positives about having the internet, right? How we can connect with people on this kind of level. And um, it's pretty incredible. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I, I, it's been a pleasure to be with you today. And I, you know, you're a big fan, as I said before, totally your, totally your fangirl, my friend. <laughs> Well, thank you. That means a lot to me. You know, you're somebody that I really respect and admire. And, um, you know, uh, I, I'm just, I'm very appreciative that you come in and help me celebrate eight years and stuff. Cause that was, you know, I was really thinking about, I did want to acknowledge this so many years. I would kind of just let the years go by and not say too much. Right. And so again, when you talk about small shifts, I think last year I wrote a blog post about it and I just celebrated and owned it. And then so for this year, my big shift was to ask you, you know, would you come on and help me celebrate? Um, and so, you know, like one of the things that I tell people all the time is that I'm a slow learner. You know, even though I can get things quite, quite quickly intellectually, for me to put it into practice takes time, right? And so giving myself the permission to ask for somebody to come join me and help me celebrate my show, I really, really appreciate you coming on, Michelle. Oh, my pleasure. And anytime and sooner than another eight years. So. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so that was my friend, Michelle Woodward. She's an executive coach and she works with leaders and executives all around the world, helping them to be more effective in their workplace so that their environments can thrive. And I just loved having that conversation with her. And one of the things that I invite you to consider is giving yourself permission to ask, right? You're going to be vulnerable. And when I thought about asking Michelle, I mean, there was the fear of, oh, I don't want to impose on her. This is about celebrating me instead of, or, you know, the show instead of having her come on as the expert, right? In her time so valuable, I had all these stories. But then to give yourself that permission and just ask, and maybe they say no, and then that's okay. And then re, you know, get back up and who else can you ask? So that's an, that's an important thing that I'm practicing in some areas of my life. I'm very good at it. And then in some other areas, uh, I'm working on it, right? I'm getting more practice. And one of the things that I'm really excited to share with you guys is that, as I mentioned earlier, um, I'm going to be doing some transitions in my show. I'm making some changes. So this is how she really does it, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. And, and like I said, you know, my, my, the, the, the amount of time that I want to spend learning to prepare for the show, I want to transition that over to, so that we can even dive, dive deeper. And so there's going to be a few different things that I'm going to do, but one of them is I'm going to have a visiting co-host where we're going to have conversations, right? So that you don't feel compelled and overwhelmed that, oh no, I need to go buy this book so that I can be more effective in my own life, right? But just hearing conversations and then what nugget can you apply? Like when we think, when we were talking about the Brene interview, I mean, from that interview, there were a couple practices. One, I became more deliberate about being self-compassionate really working on that because I knew from Brene's research that my ability to love my kids and my husband was directly correlated to loving myself. 
And prior to that, it was, oh, let me be, let me give to you and give to you and self-sacrifice and not take care of myself, right? This is an old me about 10 or so years ago. And then let me just blow at some point because everybody's just taking from me. But really to give to myself, to love myself, to, to say that I'm worthy for rest, to say that I'm worthy to take a break, right? Or that I've done enough work today or that, you know what, you guys all need dinner, but I, I need to go to bed right now. Or like just recently in Montana, you want to go horseback riding. The kids want to go horseback riding. You want to go hiking. My father-in-law wants to go hang out at the ranch. And I'm just going to hang out here at the house with nothing to do. And then I go and find something that lights me up. And that wasn't even part of my plan. But giving myself that space, right? So when you can love yourself, you have so much more to give. And from that conversation with Brene, right, that was one of the things that I implemented. And I don't know if it was that one or some of the other ones, but it was this idea that my I want my home to be a nest for my kids, a safe place, right? And a safe place where they really want to be home. I'm, I have two teenagers or a tweener and a teenager, and they like being home. They like being in our home and they like to come back and regroup and get grounded before they go off into their various worlds, right? And those are things that came out of the conversations that I had with Brene. And so my hope is for you guys that you'll listen to these conversations with Michelle, who'll be my next visiting co-host, and maybe there'll be a nugget in there and you go, oh, that sounds great. I want to apply that. I'm going to practice that and live it because really all this stuff comes down to is practice. You know, I've been fascinated by human behavior, obviously, if I've been doing the show for eight years, and that's really what it's about, right? The place where inspiration and possibility meet based on a lot of research and a lot of people who are thought leaders or who've really lived it. But it takes practice, right? Rarely does it, you get it, and then it's like, oh, all of a sudden you implement it. It takes practice because there's a lot of programming that goes on in the back of our head. You know, some of it could have been, I was told, a majority of my life that I wasn't creative and, um, and I, you know, and I couldn't draw. And I remember I, I, uh, I wasn't creative, but I created my own major in college. Um, go figure. But I, I was a visual studies major. So I was in the arts quite a bit and I had to take, um, a charcoal class. Oh my gosh. And I had to take this so I can get into the, to the upper, the higher level of photography classes. And I hated it. And still to this day, I remember Every Tuesday, I had to do a self-portrait with charcoal. It was my biggest freaking nightmare. Bring, Give me any final, give me any 10-page paper, any midterm, way better than having to do a self-portrait. But I also had that story in the back of my head that I wasn't creative. So instead of just playing with it and seeing what I could do, I got stuck, right? And I used up a lot of energy. And I'm not sure when it was might have been about 10 years ago or so, um, somebody had said to me, they go, but you are creative, you know, or, or aren't you creative? And look at all the different ways. I mean, you know, obviously now I have this radio show, but I had, I had the idea of being creative as can I draw on paper or can I paint? And recently I was doing this art class with some friends. Oh my gosh, you should have heard me. This is about a year ago. I was a grump. Why do we have to do this? But I, I, I knew I really wanted to do it, but I had so much resistance. And so one of my girlfriends who had a major in art and she's just so, you know, talented and 
And I love her style. You know, I was all upset because we had to get like these certain paints and I didn't know any better. And so we went to the paint store and she's like, Corinne, these will be just fine. And I'm like, really? But that's not what the list says. And she's like, you'll be just fine. And me who complained constantly about the paint, that's pretty much what I did every week was I painted. Other people cut out stuff, typed up stuff, you know, just use markers or Sharpies. And every week I was painting because I just loved it. I loved it. It was just this very relaxing thing. So sometimes we have resistance to stuff, but it can be those old stories in our head from previous things in our lives, previous chapters, right? So my intention with these next episodes that I'm going to do is to have those conversation, you know, so that you can not get overwhelmed with research and data and thinking, oh my gosh, I have to read this book, but how you can implement and practice. What do you hear and how do you want to take that into your life? right? And practice is huge. I mean, that is the word that I use with my clients all the time. So we're constantly practicing. We're practicing, we're testing things out, not am I good or am I bad or am I worthy or not, but we're testing it out. Like, does this work? Is this what I thought? So going back to that Montana story, right? My family was gone. Um, I checked my email really quick and I finally, I think, rolled out of the house at like, I don't know, 1030, which for me, I've been up since 4.30 this morning, so 10.30 is quite late. And I walked down and um, to the village area and I got my coffee. And then I said, well, you know, I want to do some movement. But I was kind of tired and stiff. And I said, well, I'll just move for 30 minutes. I'll go walk around this neighborhood. And I started walking. And then I just loved it. Because one of my favorite things, and again, I gave myself permission to own what it is that I love to do. Like I will do all the nature hikes. I will go and we do a lot of beautiful hiking up in Montana and I, I do really love it. But my ultimate favorite thing is to walk around neighborhoods and look at homes. I get into this dreaming and scheming. What does the house look like? What's the environment like? Seriously, it's one of my favorite things to do. And it was just this summer where I actually owned that, right? And I said, you know what? It's okay. My husband can be climbing cinnamon right now, but I'm not interested in climbing cinnamon and possibly running into a bear. I like the fact that I'm going around this neighborhood, looking at these homes and getting more connected to this community. That's what I like. And for today, this is what works. And then the next day we went off and we hiked um, Bee Haven. And then the next day we hiked Lava. So we did all our nature hikes. But it was just a nice thing that I really liked. And to own that and to realize that's a place that I do a lot of dreaming and scheming. That's where I play. I used to have the story that I don't know how to play. All I do is work and work and work, but that's how I play. That's what my play looks like. And so again, my intention with the show for you is this is the place where inspiration and possibility meet, right? Then after the show, it's what you do with that. What actions do you take, right? That's what's going to make changes in your life. And that's how you create the life that you really want. So find a support team that can be on your team. I talk to my clients a lot about, you know, the building the team that they have. You know, I'm one member on that team. Sometimes a doctor's a member or it can be a partner or a spouse or a parent or a good friend. You know, who are the people that are on your team that help you get through, help you move through the muck? Because there's always muck. There's absolutely always muck. And it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, be the first one to win the race, right? It's about going at your pace and being rooted in that growth mindset. So, you know, I really encourage you to let me know what you think of these upcoming shows. 
that I'm going to have with the visiting co-host. Uh, co and then I'm going to switch it up and then invite somebody else to come and be a visiting co-host. And those of you that are concerned that, oh, no, she's not going to bring on, you know, these research people or I'm still going to have those. I'm going to inter intersperse those. But there'll be less reading for me because for the last couple of years, I've said, oh, my gosh, give me another book and I might shoot, you know, I just not much shoot myself, but you know, <laughs> I would resist. So and then let me know. And then one thing that I'm just starting to learn because I've never really been a big into promotion is I guess the iTunes ratings are really, really important. So while I so appreciate the emails that you send to me, if you can give the show an iTunes ratings, that's in line with what you think, right? That gives me information and feedback. And it also helps get the show out there to more people because I guess it's part of the whole Apple algorithm and does the show get put out there. So while we have listeners all over the world and while we have, you know, I'm always just amazed at the number of downloads and listens to the show, you can help it by just spreading it out there. So please go to iTunes and rate the, give a show a rating and it's how she really does it. On iTunes, just Google that and you'll find that. Thank you so much for listening today. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming.